0: Let's pray. Lord, it is a celebration this morning. We passed through Friday. We sat on the Sabbath and we wondered about where you were. And then this morning is when you announced what really took place. And Christians all over the world are celebrating the resurrection this morning. And rightfully so, because the resurrection is a culmination, is a fulfillment of everything we've been studying in Passover. And Lord, as we study this morning, the last event on Passover week, we see once again how Jesus, you lined up on it. Lord, I am so excited to teach this morning. I'm so excited to show your plan, which was thousands of years in the making. Lord, you did not leave anything to happenstance or randomness, but God, you planned it. And Jesus, you fulfilled it. And this morning, we will celebrate it. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to UCC. If you're visiting with us and haven't been in a church in a while, uh, we're a very funky church, but we're not going to dance like that. I'm not going to dance like that. Um, we want to we uh, conclude a series that we started off uh, a few weeks back uh, called The Lamb of God. And this morning we're we'll look at Easter Reborn. But let's recap uh, where we've been so make sure we're all on the same page here. So we've been kind of walking through Easter, and really what we have been doing is we've been looking at Easter through a Jewish perspective. Right? So, like I said to you before, that when you read the Bible, what you miss is, as Gentiles, which is what we mostly are, is that there are things that are taking place in the Bible that we miss. But a Jewish person reading it, a a, a person of uh, um, who comes from that Hebrew background, they get it. They see it. But we don't. Right? And so, what, we've been, what I've been trying to do is take you back into the Passover week and say... By the way, you might have missed this, right? You may have have missed that. We started off uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, and we saw the first sacrifice. Remember, this is in the garden. This is when Adam and Eve fell, right? This is where humanity took a turn away from God. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, the Bible says that God covered Adam and Eve with the skins of animals. This was the first sacrifice, Right? We talked about the uh, sacrifice system, and we said that with the sacrifice system, God showed that only death could pay for life, right? And so for several hundred years, in, in the book of Leviticus, God set out the plan for the sacrifice system. But when we get to the prophets, what we see is the abuse of the system. And what happens then is people will sin and will callously kill an animal, remember as I showed you in the prophets, God did not want animals to die. Remember what he says to them in the book of Isaiah? Stop bringing me your meaningless sacrifices. Just obey, right? God is not bloodthirsty. He does not delight in death of anything. But he had to show the consequences of sin. And that was what the sacrifice system was. But again, as we saw in the, in the, uh, in the prophets, that came to an end because of how it was being uh, abused. We looked at Passover, we went back to Egypt thousands of years ago when the first Passover took place. And we saw how God orchestrated everything. Remember, we we took the the lamb's blood and we used hyssop, and and that's important in a second, we'll remind you about that. And we put on uh, the lamb's blood on our doorposts, And death passed over our homes because of that one act of obedience. And I said to you, death did not have an interview with the people in the homes to see if they were worthy of the blood. It wasn't about that. It was about obedience, following God's uh, instructions by which death would pass over. Uh, Brian taught us about the Day of Atonement. We looked at this idea of two, uh, of two goats, one being sacrificed for the sins of Israel and one being released. And it's a beautiful image of Jesus upon the cross being sacrificed and us as humanity going free. And, and on Friday, we looked at the fourth cup. And the fourth cup is this, is this idea that when we look through the Passover meal, We saw that there are four cups that are used through the Seder, right? The Seder is what uh, the Jewish people would call the Passover meal. And we said that the four cups represented the four I will statements from Exodus chapter 6. Remember when God says, I will, I will, I will. And throughout the Seder meal, there are four cups that that they pause to drink of the cup so that they remind themselves of the I will statement, Right? And so what we, what we learned uh, last week, and by the way, thank you for all the comments on this uh, on Friday sermon. A lot of you had came to me and said that you'd never heard this, and I confess to you, I'd never heard it before until I started digging in and kind of going, oh, that's why. It all kind of makes sense. And that sermon will be up online on, uh, on Monday, and so you can kind of go through it again for those of you who may have missed it. But we saw that in the third cup there, in Mark chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus says he took a cup. But because of the placement in the the Seder, we know that it was the third cup. Remember what Jesus says? This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then he says, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Remember, this is the third cup, the I will redeem statement. So Jesus says, this is my cup. I will redeem humanity from sin. I I will break the bondages of sin. I will reconcile the relationship between God. Right, So that was, that's the fourth, that was the third cup, but that wasn't the final cup, right? Because remember, on the cross, remember Jesus said a second ago, I will not drink of the vine again until the kingdom of heaven. But what do we see on the cross? In John chapter 19, verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus says, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar, which is sour wine, it's a Roman wine there, the, the pasca that we talked about, was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop, Remember, hyssop is what they use to cover the doorposts again, and lifted to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. Now, I said to you on Friday as well, too, that, that it is finished statement is a statement that theologians have wrestled over, and most of Gentiles going, oh, it is finished. The work of God is finished. This is finished. That is true. But the benediction at the end of the Passover meal, it is finished. Next year, we, 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 we celebrate in Jerusalem. So Jesus is, is pronouncing the benediction of the Passover meal. And the it is finished statement is, 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 fits perfectly with that. And this is the fourth cup. The fourth cup of the Passover meal, the cup they did not drink, the cup that they did not uh, conclude with, is a cup of restoration, cup of completion, the hallel. And so what we see through the Passover meal, the Seder meal, is, is Jesus was enacting um, what was about to happen. And remember we sit in the garden? Three times Jesus says, let this cup pass for me, let this cup pass for me. And we looked at the Hebrew context. He's not saying, I'm scared of what's about to happen. He's saying, let me drink deeply of this cup of the wrath of God so that humanity would not have to experience it. It wasn't cowardice that Jesus was experiencing, but deep, profound compassion upon humanity. So that none of us would have to um, suffer the consequences of our sin. That was last week, and so this morning, we want to wrap it all up, and I want to show you the final Passover week uh, element that Jesus fulfills. So Passover is not done yet, right? On, on, on the day after Sabbath, there's one more thing that Jews uh, are supposed to do, and they've been doing for thousands of years, and of course, this is what we called Resurrection Sunday, right? And I've, and I, I've been trying as much as possible to show you how Jesus lines up with this, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 2, Paul is kind of bringing his book, uh, Corinthians, to a close. One of these days, I'm going to teach on Corinthians, and I'm going to call it Church Gone Wild, because this, this book, uh, Corinthians, this church, is they are a very interesting church. I'm glad I'm not the pastor of that church, because these people are, they're a little cray-cray, I'm not going to lie. They're just, they're, they're, they're a little out there, right? I, I can use that, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 2, Paul says this, now... Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which, on which you have taken your stand. Very important, right? Gospel, this is it, right? Like, line in the sand, this is what we believe. By this gospel, you are saved. So in theological terms, what Paul is saying here is what he's about to tell you is what we call salvific, salvation, right? There's some things in the Bible that you can have going, I don't know, I don't understand, right? Not, salvation is not based upon it. But when the Bible says this here, this thing that we're going to talk about, this is what your salvation is based upon. We're going, okay, I better pay attention because whatever's about to come is important, is key for me to make sure I understand. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So if you dismiss this aspect of the gospel, everything you have believed is in vain. So Paul goes on in verse 3 to 8 to tell you what that is. And he says this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, right? Jesus' appearance to Paul was the last appearance, apart from John when he appears in the book of Revelations, that he would appear to anybody in humanity, right? So this is, so what what, what Paul is saying here to the church in Corinth, okay, here's what you need to understand. You've got Jesus' life and his teachings, yes, very exciting. You have Jesus' death and what happened upon the cross, great. But you have to go to Easter Sunday. You have to go to resurrection because that completes the process. That completes everything. So whatever it is you believe about resurrection, whatever you believe about today, you have to make sure you place it in the exact place it needs to be. And Paul says it's of first importance. Okay. In, this, in the scripture here, there's three things that take place. right? Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried and he rose again. Paul says that's the gospel. That's the gospel, right? But each part is the gospel, not just that Jesus died for our sins part, but the resurrection part. Now, let me show you something here. We've been looking at this. This is the Passover week, right? You call it Easter week, some of you call it the Passion week. This is the Passover week, but this is the Passover week that the Jews would understand right? This is the week that Jesus was, uh, was uh, enacting out, right? Remember, the lamb is chosen. Jesus rides in on a donkey. And I showed you that he rode in on that donkey on the 10th of Nisan, which is when the lamb is chosen. And remember, I told you that I showed you that for four days, the lamb is examined. So for four days, Jesus is questioned, on whose authority are you doing this? Who sent you? Who are you, right? The lamb is being examined. Right? We looked at when Jesus goes in the temple and overturns the table and, he's, and he cleanses the temple. Right? The house, the home is meant to be cleaned of all yeast. Remember Jesus says to disciples, beware the yeast of Pharisees. So Jesus is cleaning his house and again, Following exactly the pattern of, 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 uh, of the Passover week. The lamb is sacrificed, right? The lamb is sacrificed on the 15th of Nisan. It's exactly when Jesus goes and is crucified upon the cross. This, um, the, the family celebrates a Passover meal, right? Sabbath, right? Sabbath is Saturday, right? This is the day. Remember, they wanted to prepare Jesus' body for the tomb, but they couldn't because Sabbath was coming. All they could do is put him in there, and that's all they could do, Right? There is one final thing that takes place in Passover week. This is something that was started in Leviticus. Uh, we're talk, we'll look at it in Deuteronomy. But for thousands of years, they've been celebrating this event at the end of Passover week. Passover takes place during the um, first harvest. It's kind of a, uh, um, it happens in the springtime. And so it's, it's part of the harvest time, right? So there's an aspect of the, pas- of the Passover week that the Jews would celebrate, and of course, God being God, started this back in Leviticus because he knows what's coming thousands of years later with Jesus. And the, and the last ceremony is called the Feast of First Fruits, right? This is what completes the Passover week. This is what the Passover week looks like. So the day after the Sabbath, which is Sunday, this is what is celebrated. This has been celebrated for thousands of years by the Hebrews. So why does God use this 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 thing called first fruits, a feast of first fruits, to allow Jesus to be um, kind of the representative of that. Well, the Bible gives us a hint, but let's go back thousands of years, look at the history first before we look at Jesus. Let's take a look at the first fruits and where it comes from. So you have your Bibles, you can turn to Leviticus chapter 23. You don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen, that's how we roll here. And this is where we first see the teaching on first fruits, Okay. So this is remember the book of Leviticus is the book of the law, right? So the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, the Torah, or the Hebrews would call it the Tanakh, the first five books are the basically the law that Moses has written. But the book of Leviticus we saw a couple of weeks back is the details of what the law looks like, right? So in the book of Leviticus, chapter twenty-three, the Feast of First Fruits is introduced to the people, and remember this is in direct correlation to. Passover, right? Remember, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? So this is the book after the Exodus account. And now God is teaching his people, this is how you understand what I've done for you. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I'm going to give you and you... um, the land I'm going to give you and reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord, so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. So this is something called the Feast of First Fruits, and this is the how it takes place is you bring a grain offering, and the priest takes that offering and he waves it. Actually, what he does is he waves the four corners. So he, he goes to the temple. He weighs it north, south, east, and west. It's a grain offering to God. And remember, when we looked at the book of Leviticus, we saw the different types of ways of doing this, right? So the day after Sabbath is the day of first fruits. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, I'm going to read this. It's 11 verses, but I'm going to read this to you because I want you to hear. So Deuteronomy is Moses's final sermon. I know you guys think I preach long, but go try standing there for uh, Moses's Deuteronomy sermon, right? It's one long sermon, Remember, Moses knows because he sinned, he's not going to the promised land. So as a pastor, Moses is like, okay, what do I got to tell the people before they go to the promised land, right? And so he, he, Deuteronomy is one big sermon from Moses. He's like, okay, what am I forgetting here? Okay, and uh, don't do this. And uh, this is why God did this. And so he's, he's doing a sermon, right? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 26, he talks about the Feast of first fruits. He says this. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession and you have conquered it and settled there, put some of the first produce from each crop you harvest into a basket and bring it to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Go to the priest in charge at that time and say, With this gift I acknowledge to the Lord uh, your God that I have entered the land he swore to our ancestors he would give us. The priest will then take the basket from your hand and set it before the altar of the Lord your God. You must say, then, in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became large and a mighty nation. Remember, this is the preamble to the Exodus account. Um, when he, the Egyptians oppressed and humiliated us by making us their slaves, we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. He heard our cries and saw our hardship, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand and powerful arm, with overwhelming terror, with miraculous signs and wonders. Post-Exodus account. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, Flowing with milk and honey. And now, O Lord, I have brought you the first portion of the harvest you have given me from the ground. Then place a produce before the Lord your God and bow to the ground and worship before him. Afterward you may go and celebrate because of all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. Remember to include the Levites and the foreigners living amongst you in the celebration. So in Deuteronomy Chapter twenty-six, Moses is helping the people to understand the feast of first fruits. And you see what he says there? If there's people who are not Jewish, make sure they understand what's going on and include them in this. Now, there's something I want to point out to you in the passage I read there. Look what he says here. My father was a wandering Aramean, right? He's talking about Joseph. And he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous, right? So the account, the first fruits is to remind them of what happened. See, one of the things about the Seder, one of the things about the Passover account was it was always to remind the people what God had done for them, right? Before they ended up in the promised land, what we know today as modern Israel, they came from Palestine, they came outside of that, and they had to conquer their way of uh, the people already living there. And God is trying to help the people, the Jewish people, to understand and to remind them for thousands of years to do this, to remember, to remind themselves of the power that God did. But now look at this. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. The Exodus account is of God hearing his people. They cry out to God in their pain, in their suffering. And remember, what the Egyptians are doing is unlawful. They are breaking the bond that they made with Joseph, right? And so the Israelites are being oppressed by the Egyptians. They call out to God. And the funny thing is, when you call out to God, he hears you. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, whether it's your fault or not, God hears you. And so God wants people to, rem- to remember that. And look at the last line there. And now I bring the first fruits of that soil to you, that, to you, Lord, that you have given me. So it's a reminder of what, of what had happened there. Now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, because Paul then is going to make a connection here, right? So we saw the first fruits. It's in the Passover week. Now Paul is going to make a connection for us that up at this point in time we haven't seen yet. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, verse 20, Paul says this. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul now is bringing a period to the uh, Passover week. And he's saying this final thing that you guys have been celebrating for thousands of years, it's Jesus. And let me show you why now. Look what he says here. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn Christ the first fruits; then when he comes those belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father as he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And this, was ha- this happened on the cross. Remember what Jesus says? All authority and power is granted to me, which I now give to you. Remember he sends the disciples out and he says, this is what I give to you. The only person with authority to do that was God himself, was Jesus. Right. So whatever first fruits are, whatever, they, whatever this event is, Paul is trying to say, Jesus fulfills this. Resurrection is first fruits. Right? It's the first fruits. And so now what we want to do is we want to kind of take a look at the implications of this. Now, a couple of things are first fruits. The, the celebration is called Rashid Kazir. Right? Uh, in the Hebrew it means beginning of the harvest, right? That's what this was. So the, a couple of things about this. The first products of the grain harvest, right? So the first, so there are two times, there's two times um, that uh, that they will harvest in a calendar year in, in Israel, right? Because of the uh, warmth of it, they're able to have two harvests, right? So one in the spring and one in the fall, right? So this the spring was the first one. Remember, God took the month of Nisan. This is a little bit complex here. The month of Nisan is when Passover happens. Remember, God says, this is the new year now. The month of Nisan shall be the first year of your calendar year. This is when the calendar year starts off. So our January is their Nisan, right? So the beginning of the year, remind yourself of what God had done. Celebrate Passover and bring the harvest to God. The beginning of the production of the harvest season, it can be viewed as the promise of more to come. There's a second harvest coming later on, but this first one, bring it to God as the first fruits, right? And again, this is also kind of, we talked about the concept of tithing, right? You bring a portion of your first fruits and you give it to God. This is how we show God, thank you for what you provided. But it's also a lesson for us when we talk about tithing and we talked about that before there. So now look at this. One of the things you need to hear is that when Jesus was teaching about his life, about what was to happen, he used a lot of imagery that was farmers, right? Farmers would get this, right? Right. I'm not a farmer, nor do I play one on TV, but I do work for one, and I have been talking to him, and one of the things that's interesting about farmers, when they read the Bible, and all the imagery that's in there, they get it. They're like, oh, yeah, of course, that makes sense, and this is why, and you're like, oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that this is why you do things, right? Like, when you talk about, one of the interesting things about uh, the Israelites, a little aside there, a little tangent, the farming practices, God said to them, oh, by the way, when you farm, rotate the fields, and on the seventh year, let the, let the field just lie as it is. And I, talk, I, I said to Jim one time, I'm like, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, every farmer knows that you can saturate the nutrients. And if you don't rotate the crops, if you don't move from place to place, you will actually will burn out the land. And one of the things that's interesting about the Israelites, why the reason, one of the reasons why they're so prosperous is they've learned this before anybody else. And so they're rotating the crops. Okay, anyways, you got the idea, right? It's so interesting how God takes care of them that way. Okay, look at it, okay. John chapter 12. Sorry, I'm getting excited here. Uh, I'll, I'll stay on track. Look what Jesus says about himself. Jesus replied, The hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's talking about Passover. He's talking about his death. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What is Jesus trying to tell us? The theme of the festival of first fruits is life from death. Resurrection. The first crops. Remember, if you ever planted something, and I'm uh, like, if you ever like science class, you plant that seed in a styrofoam cup, and you day after day you look at it. I was always the kid that that uh, would be impatient. Like my other friends' cups, I'd be like poking at a pan, like, "What is this, Stu? I got like a like a dumb seed that didn't work, right?" I'd be like, "Where's this seed? Like, I got nothing there." Okay, I should I shouldn't tell you this, but I um, I <laughs> okay, this is confession time. Uh, <laughs> In grade four, we did this, and my seed did not sprout again, and I'm like, ah, I don't know what's going on. I stole the person's seed next to my cup, and I, because uh, I, our names were written on the cup, so I took the seed out, and put it in my cup, and, then, and they came in, and they're like, oh, where did my seed go? I'm like, oh, it must have died. Sorry, man. And I'm look at my seed. I don't know if they ever got it, but anyways, you get the idea, right? When you put a seed in the dirt... It is covered from you. I know, you think less of me now. I get that. It's okay. I'm still, I'm still cool with myself. Um, when you put a seed in the dirt, you sit there and you're going, okay, I can't see what's happening, right? But what you're really doing is you're taking death, you're submerging it, and you're hoping that life would be produced from it. This is the, this is the festival of first fruits, Right? And again, if you look at that, you're going, of course. But if you're a farmer, when you sow your, your, your fields, you're not just looking for the sprout. You're looking at, this is your livelihood. This is how you will survive, right? And so what Jesus is saying is that my life is the first seed planted. What is about to happen to me is the first seed planted. And of course, he's talking about his death. He's talking about his burial. But he's also saying, and by the way, remember at Passover? You celebrate first fruits? That's me as well. I'm going to show you why, right? So the festival of first fruits is that. Remember, this is, the pa- this is the timeline, right? The 15th of Nisan, right? It's the crucifixion. This date has been set for the Passover land to be sacrificed thousands of years. Do you know what the likelihood of Jesus being able to orchestrate it, right? Did you, did you see what God did here? His plan remains the same, right? Saturday, the 16th of Nisan, the Sabbath, they can't do anything. But the 17th of Nisan... It's a festival of first fruits. And what happens? The first flower that, that blooms on resurrection is Jesus. It's just because on the cross, it is finished. It's all finished now. And now the first fruit, who is Jesus, kind of emerges from the soil. Literally comes out of the grave, right? Out of the ground? Out of the soil? Okay, okay. You get the idea, right? Okay. Sorry. Getting excited here. Um, Passover was about freedom from slavery. Let's go back to the Passover event. What was it? It was freedom from slavery. At the core, that's what, exactly what it was. But the secondary part was this promise. God doesn't say, you know, I'm, he could have in those plagues. By the way, he could have destroyed all the Egyptians. He could have. And he could have said, okay, I'm going to wipe out all the Egyptians. Israel, here's your, here's your home now. Take it over. Right? All the buildings are there. All the crops are there. All the, all the money's there. Take it. Right? But instead, what he does is he takes them out of there and says, I've prepared a place for you. You've got to go to that place now, the promised land, where we can be in relationship. It's about God providing a better place, a home, where he could be in true relationship with his people. The Feast of First Fruits remembers of the first day the Jews ate food that was grown in the promised land. The first sets precedent for what is to come. So whenever the Hebrews celebrate the first fruits, they're saying, oh, Remember when we got to the promised land and, and, and we plowed the fields, we put the seed down, and it emerged? Those of you who are young adults, you may, you may remember this moment. But you remember the moment where you moved out of your home, right? And you're, whether it's on residence or in your own apartment, remember the first meal you cooked? Whether there's a fire or not, I don't know, but, right, do you remember the first time you actually, everyone's left, you've moved into your new place, you, you're sitting there, it's like, okay, this is great, and, and you cook your first meal, there's something special about that, right? That's, it's your first time where it's like, you're acting like an adult, first of all, which is great, and, you know, girls, are you hearing me? Okay. Um, you're acting like an adult, you know, you're, you're acting like you're, 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 you're in your own home, but there's something special about your first meal in your own home. There's something special about it, right? That's the first fruits. That's what the Israelites were understanding here. So let me give you three lessons now, okay? There are lessons from the first fruits. There's three times the Bible talks about it, uh, twice by Paul, once by James. And they, and they kind of give us some understanding about it, right? The first thing you need about the first fruits is it is a remaking of humanity. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn Christ the first fruits; then when he comes, those who belong to him. One thing I want to point out here is this. For as in Adam all die, but in Christ all will be made alive. I remember a few years back that uh, we were at Catalyst and Joel Houston was, was teaching. Joel Houston of uh, Hillsong fame. And Joel Houston said a line there, and I'd heard it before, but he'd said it, and it's never left me. And he says this, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And it was like, it, 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 was, it was such a profound moment because I realized something right there. That as a Christian, sometimes I try to act good. I try, to, I, I try to pretend I'm a good person, right? I try to pretend that I, I, I think good thoughts and I do good things. And I like to tell you, I try as much as I can. And again, try train. You can, you can do your own math there. But, but what I want to say to you is that before I met Jesus, I wasn't a bad person. I was a dead person. And so the first fruits is becoming alive in Christ, that new life. That's why Jesus, in John chapter 3 there, he talks to Nicodemus and talks about this idea of being born again. Right? Rebirth. Resurrection. Right? So the one of the reasons why resurrection is so important is it remakes humanity. Right? The second thing you need to understand about resurrection is we see Paul again talking about in 2 Thessalonians. It's remaking our relationship with God. So we are remade, but then so is our relationship with God. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says this. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's important about that? When you become new in Jesus, you share his glory. You share his glory. Now, what does that mean, share his glory? Am I glorified? Yeah, I'm glorified. Halo appeared? No. Okay? The glory of God is seeing the poor fed, seeing the, 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 the naked clothed, seeing uh, humanity be remade, right? That's what the prayer in the garden was on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, humanity is meant to treat each other with compassion and with mercy. It's us serving one another. It's about giving our lives away, laying our lives down for one another. That's God's glory. And in resurrection, we get to share God's glory. We are Our, our, our relationship with God is remade. It is finished. Now The barrier between us and God is now removed. But in resurrection, we now share in God's glory. And we bring that glory to the earth. And that glory, again... The word you, you look in your mind is like: is it shining heads? Is it is, is, is it is you know is it nuclear heads or heads are shining? No, it's the glory of God is to do the will of God, and the will of God is that this world is remade in God's image. That we go out and we share the gospel, but we do more than just talk about it. We live it out on a daily basis, right? We we we, we try to remake this world around us. Uh, just you, you guys. Hey, tangent. You, you know that it was Christians, early Christians, who went out into the world and started hospitals and schools and all that thing, right? Because for some reason, whatever it is about our, our God and what he did in us, we thought it was so important to help those who, who were helpless. Whether it's a refugee crisis now, whether it's what's going on around the world, like, like Christians are at the forefront of serving those who need it the most. That's God's glory. and And you don't... You don't have to go somewhere forward for that. It can happen right here, right now, right? That's God's glory. So our, our relationship with God is being remade. And finally, it's the remaking of the past and the future. James now, the brother of Jesus, gets in on this and says this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. The New Testament writers keep bringing us back to this concept of first fruits. And for the Gentiles, they know what first fruits is. They understand what they're saying here. But for us Gentiles, we're like, first fruits? I don't even know if I use that word, right? Is that the first fruit I eat out of the the dish? No, no. First fruits is the beginning of all that is new, all that is changed, all that is transformed. And I would argue with you, quite convincingly, resurrection is the point of Passover week. This is the point. We talk about Jesus' death on the cross, and we saw that it was basically the Passover meal, but resurrection, this is a verification, the validity of Christ's life. He chose us, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth, right? What does that mean? He chose to give us birth. Some of you in this room, you struggle with your past. You struggle with what you've done wrong. You struggle with sin or sin now. And all you think to yourself is guilt and shame, and the accuser gets in your ear and says, No good, no good, fallen again. How can God love you, right? He chose to give us birth. The truth of resurrection is rebirth, being reborn. When you encounter Jesus, you are born again. You are reborn. You are remade. You are, your, your past is now taken and is transformed, and your future is different now because of Jesus, and if you haven't figured that out yet, what are you doing? What gospel are you reading? Remember we look at Galatians? This is no gospel at all, right? The gospel is you being transformed, you being changed. And it's your past. It's your past. I hear from you over and over again about how much you struggle with the past sins. And by past, it could be months, weeks, minutes. Last night, you struggle with it. And all you say is, how can God love me? How can God love me? Resurrection. You are reborn. You are remade. God is taking your past and he's changing it. Let me close. One of the things you need to understand about God and one of the truths about Passover is this. And I just took a couple of examples. What does God want ultimately from Passover? Why did he do what he did about Passover? So you will be my people and I will be your God. God. I will walk among you and be your God. I am the Lord, your God. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. They will be my people, and I will be their God. You are my people. You are my God. Do you kind of see what God wants? He wants a people. He wants people to love him. He wants to be in relationship with them. That's what he wants. That's Passover. That's Easter. And that's a resurrection. That's what it's all about. Is God finally saying, I now have a people. Who bear my image, who have my spirit in them. That's what Easter is. Whatever it is you understand about Easter, whatever it is you understand about Christianity, it's about God reaching out to humanity to redeem, to love, to transform. And that that redemption, that love, and that transformation takes us and transforms us for the world. Romans eight. That book of the, that chapter in Romans terrifies me, by the way, because there's so much in there. But Romans 8, 10 to 11, before it gets complex, it gets simple here. It says this. But if Christ is in you, then, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. You know I couldn't wrap up a series without talking about the Spirit somehow, right? What does he say here, right? The spirit gives life. The spirit of God resurrected Jesus. That same resurrection power is in you. To transform you, to change you. Not immediately. And yes, please, you'll fall, you'll fail. I get that. Resurrection power is to transform you and to change you in Jesus' image. That's heads. I do this every week. I'm going to ask the band to come back on up. The band's going to lead us through one more song, but before they do that, I just want you to take a moment to meditate, to think, like I always ask you to. Resurrection—it's not just an idea; it's not just a concept. It's the truth and the promise of God. Jesus was resurrected on the day they celebrated first fruits. The feast of first fruits was f- fulfilled by Jesus. He is the first fruits of humanity. He is the first, and we follow after him. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are fallen, you fail. You try and you fail, all these things and more. But God loves you. He reaches down for you. You can be reborn, you can be remade. And that redemption is being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Because Pentecost Sunday, which is when we really are going to wrap up the series 50 days from now, is when we see the fulfillment of all of that. The end of the Festival of First Fruits, which is a 50-day festival, is the day of Pentecost. And I don't need to tell you what happens on that day. The earth is shaken as the Holy Spirit finally comes and invades invades our, our lives. But Jesus is first, and we follow after him. And I really want some of you to hear me very clearly. I feel this very very strongly in my spirit right now, that there's a few of you in this room that struggle with your past, with struggle with your sin. And all the enemy does is uses that guilt and that shame and he places weights upon your shoulders. Remember I told you that the image of sin in the Old Testament is of a weight. You carry that weight and you think it's normal and it's not. That Jesus came to forgive you, to redeem you, and to release you from that. I need you to hear me. I need you to take that to heart so that you can live the life God wants you to. and Stop pretending. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came. You walked amongst us. You died upon the cross for our sins. You fulfilled that aspect of the law. But Lord, I thank you that the tomb could not hold you. I thank you for your resurrection. I thank you that you are new life. I thank you, God, that we get to participate in that new life. As we saw in Romans 8 there, that it's by your spirit that we get to live that new life. And I pray every day, each and every one of us would open our hearts and minds to your spirit. Holy Spirit, come now. Speak to us. Transform us, Lord. Change us. Lord, give us that rebirth, that, that reimagining of what you would have for us, Lord. Jesus, thank you that you were the first fruits that you are my example, that you are my leader, you are my savior, that you're my Lord. As that video said, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of my good stuff. He's Lord of my bad stuff. Give it to you, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.